Good morning, Northeast. It's great to see you and have you join with us online and everyone else from wherever you are joining with us. It's really wonderful to be able to come together and share worship and now to open the Word of God. And I pray that God will really um, bring this Word to your heart and it will really be able to empower you and help you as you go forward into the week ahead. Now, throughout this year, we have been considering what it means to be wholehearted. As we begin our final series, I'd like to ask you a question. What do you think is the key to having a whole heart, particularly in such a broken world? Psalm 23 is probably one of the most well-known scriptures, even to people who are not Christ followers. I mean, we hear it read at probably most funerals, maybe some weddings, And down throughout the ages, it's been a text that has brought comfort and steadied people when they're going through difficult times. It's all about the Good Shepherd who prompts us to lie down in green pastures, who leads us beside still waters and restores our very soul. The Good Shepherd who guides us along the right paths for his name's sake, who walks with us through the valley who anoints us with his favour and pours his blessing into our lives so that our cups overflow. The Good Shepherd who promises goodness and mercy and love every day of our lives. This is the Good Shepherd who loves us and cares for us more than anything else in the world. And not only does he do all these things, but he invites us to a seat at his table. You know what it's like when you're invited to someone's home. You know, someone's very special, someone you love, and they ask you to come over for a meal. You really look forward to that. It's an invitation that you don't have to think twice about. And not only that, you look forward to the opportunity to sit down with them at their table and spend time laughing and talking and remembering and celebrating the wonderful relationship that you share. And in Psalm 23, we are told that God, the creator of the whole universe, our everlasting Father, almighty God, the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, he invites us to his table, the one that he has prepared for us. Now, the idea of me feasting at a table that God has prepared for me actually sounds too good to be true. But it is truth, and it's up to me whether I accept the invitation or not. As you think about this table and how appealing it sounds, I want to remind you that you are not the only one to whom this table is appealing. You know when you've been invited to someone's place for a meal and after having received an invitation to their table, you might be talking to someone else and telling them about how excited you are about this invitation. And then there's sort of an awkwardness when they say, oh, I wish I'd been invited or I'd really like to be invited too. Now, of course, while they might like to be invited, it's probably unlikely that they're going to turn up at that person's house uninvited. The table to which we've been invited by God himself has an open personal invitation to you and to me, to everyone except one, and that is our enemy. Now, our enemy is not the person that we do not like. It's Satan who does not want you or me to enjoy a feast with God because he knows only too well that when we 
really know our Good Shepherd, then not only will we want to fellowship with him, but we will be prepared to trust him with our lives. So there is nothing more that our enemy wants than to have a seat at the table that God has prepared for you and for me. And more than anything else, we should not give him a seat at that table. Now, this idea was introduced by Louis Giglio in a signature message that he has given and now in a subsequent book that has been recently released. He writes about a time when he was really struggling because his heart had been broken by the actions and words of others. And at that time, God broke through with this message. And his book tells the story of how he received this message and the life-changing impact it had on his life and on others. I want to read you a few extracts from chapter one, just to give you a taste. And I'm going to um, put this book on display on the screen so that you can see, because I think it'd be great if you were able to access this book. And as we go through this series, it sort of aligns with the book. It might be helpful to you to support you in what you're hearing from Sunday to Sunday. Louis writes, I felt attacked, misrepresented, abandoned, wounded. Shelley and I were in the midst of a massive storm, one of the toughest seasons we've ever faced as leaders. I was facing challenges that were testing the limits of my experience. One evening, a few months into that tumultuous stretch, I found myself at the top of our driveway furiously working away on a text message to a friend I could trust. Earlier in the afternoon, I'd found out about something that vindicated my case. I've always believed in the saying, you don't have to tell your side of the story, time will. On this day, it felt like time was telling the world that I was right. And obviously, I wasn't going to sit on good news. I wanted other people to know I was right too. So I reached out to someone who had stood with me in the struggle, someone who had taken a few shots on my behalf. Wow, what a text it was. A lengthy masterpiece of angst and vindication the tone of which went something like this. You're not going to believe what just happened. I'm not saying I was right, but hey, it is what it is. Can you believe it? I mean, if you give things enough time, you'll see people's true colours, right? I pressed send and waited. I needed actual words in return and lots of them. A moment passed, another. I waited. And then it arrived, a one-sentence reply. Nine words to be exact. In dismay, I blurted, you've got to be kidding. But when I leaned in and focused on the message, those nine words changed my life. The message read, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Louis realised that the struggle he was having wasn't about fighting people. But the battle he was facing was against the powers of darkness. Listen to how Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 6. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this world, this dark world, in bondage. The harmful thoughts that he was having was a result of the devil influencing the conversation in his mind. What had happened is that he'd allowed the enemy 
to have a seat at his table. And as Jesus reminds us in John 10.10, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. Louis was actually allowing himself to listen to a killer. Have you ever been in a situation where you're sitting at a table and you're with someone and you're, you're engrossed in conversation and you're really enjoying the time with that person and then someone else passes by and you really don't want to break the conversation but you are polite and greet them and then before you know it, they've pulled up a chair and sat down at your table and suddenly there's now the three of you. It happened before you even realised it. And you know, this is what it's like with the enemy. Before you know it, uninvited, He's sitting at your table and controlling the conversation. David in Psalm 23 writes, You prepare a table for me. The table is for God and me, for God and for you. The enemy is not invited. But the invitation does not mean that the enemy is removed from the equation. In fact, if you look at this verse further, where is this table set up? Where has God prepared this table? It says it's prepared in the presence of my enemies. The table is set up right in the middle of my enemies. In 1 Peter 5.8, we're told that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So it is true. He is around. And you know, while we cannot stop the devil from prowling around the table God has prepared for you and for me, we do have the choice as to whether we allow him to sit down. What the king of the universe has done for you and for me is that he has, a set, he has set a table of nourishment and refreshment in the midst of your trouble and has invited you to sit with him at his table. The table that he has prepared for us is one of peace, clarity and abundance. You don't have to give the enemy a seat at your table because it's a table for two and the enemy is not invited to sit. Of course, the enemy, the devil, wants nothing more than to crush you. He wants to steal from you everything you value and kill everything that is good. And even if in the past you have given the enemy a seat at your table, it's time to take it back, to take back what the enemy has stolen. Now, in order to ensure that the enemy does not pull up a seat at the table, we have to get our minds around that truth that life is hard at times. Yet Jesus wants us to follow him anyway. He is, he is with us and he will be more than enough for every circumstance that we face. But what can happen is that when life gets hard, we feel overwhelmed and we're tempted to welcome the enemy at our table. It seems easier to give in to doubt, to give in to despair and anger and bitterness than to trust our good shepherd. But Psalm 23 encourages us, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And you know, God wants us to develop this sort of faith, even though I will. In the Old Testament, we read about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now, here were three young men who loved God and they were challenged by the king to bow down to a gold statue. If they didn't do that, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace and burned to death. Now, what a difficult challenge 
to be put into that situation. But these young men trusted God. Listen to what they said in Daniel three seventeen to 18. Even if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to the God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. They're saying even though we may have to be thrown into the fire, we will stay true to God. That's the sort of faith God wants. Even though this situation happens, I will stay true. What about Paul and and Silas when they're in prison? They were there through no fault of their own. They'd been preaching the good news of of Christ. And as they were doing that, the people didn't like it. The, The authorities didn't like it. So they arrested them and threw them into the depths of the prison. And when they were there, even though they were in prison, they said, we will praise you, even though I will. This is the sort of faith that we need. Even though we're in difficult circumstances, I will trust God. In Habakkuk 3 verses 17 to 18, it says, even though the fig trees have no fruit and no grapes grow on the vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no grain, Even though the sheep all die and the cattle stalls are empty, even though all these things happen, I will still be joyful and glad because the Lord God is my saviour. Do you have even though I will faith? You sit at a table with your good shepherd who loves you. Even though I am sick and there seems to be no progress in my recovery, I will still be joyful because the Lord God is my saviour. He is my shepherd. Even though I've lost my job and I'm worried about how I'm going to provide for my family, I will still be joyful because the Lord God is my saviour, my shepherd. Even though COVID impacts my life and everything seems to be out of control and makes me feel afraid, I will still be joyful because the Lord God is my saviour. He is my shepherd. This is the sort of faith that will keep the enemy from having a seat at your table. Okay, so let's picture this table together. Before you sit at the table that your good shepherd has prepared just for you, take it all in. On the table is a feast of every good thing that you could imagine. However, this is not an invitation to gluttony. This table will satisfy your deepest longings. When you partake of this feast, you will feel full and free at the same time. But, you know, the most important part about all of this is actually not even the feast. It's not about what God gives us, but about God himself, who is at the table with us. He is the one who has walked with us through the valley, and it's all about our relationship with him. Do you realise who is at the table with you? Your real reward is not the feast, but being seated at the table with God Almighty. The only way to a whole heart is through a relationship with him, your good shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. 
He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. We know the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. And when we allow him space in our lives, when we give him room to fulfil his plan to destroy our hearts, he will break our hearts. Only God, through what Jesus has done for us, can make our hearts whole. No one else can do that. If we really understand and accept his power at work in us to heal our broken hearts, then we have found the key to wholehearted living with the assurance that goodness and unfailing love will pursue us, will pursue you all the days of your life and you will live with God forever. If you want this assurance, then accept God's invitation to take a seat at the table he has prepared just for you. We get to join him because of what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross. He paid the price for our wrongdoings. This means that we have been forgiven and set free. If you want to accept this invitation, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me now. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, I believe in you and I want to have a relationship with you. I know I have sinned. Please forgive me and help me to live my life more like you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for my wrongdoing. Because of you, I now have hope and eternal life. As a Christian, I want to follow you. I want to enjoy a place at the table with you that you have prepared for me. Fill me with your power through the power of the Holy Spirit so I can live my life for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into this week, let's encourage one another. Let's enjoy the table that God has prepared for us together. He and you, he and me. Let's not allow the enemy to pull up a chair, you know, in the, just like that. Let's keep having that faith that says, even though I will. And together we will enjoy the blessing of whole hearts. God bless you.